You guys all have your Bibles? Amen. Amen. We are going to be jumping into the Word of God. And I believe that God has something very special in store for you. But the one thing He asks on your part is to have an open mind and an open heart. So right now we'd like to go to the throne of God and ask Jesus to give us that right now. Why don't we bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your goodness and for your kindness. Thank you, God, that we got to see a baptism, two baptisms. We got to see children being dedicated to you. Thank you for the music and the testimonies. Lord, you have blessed our church today in a mighty way. We pray and ask, God, as we open up your word, that these blessings would continue. And Lord, according to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, you would do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or imagine. God, I don't want to preach a message or a sermon. We pray that heaven would pour out its spirit upon this congregation this morning. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. It's really good to have our call porters here. I'll tell you this, I did call portering one summer, and I did it in the year 2003. That's a long, long time ago. And I never forgot, that one summer that I did call portering, it changed my life. It was something that really pushed me to my limits, and it taught me a unique way of witnessing. Many times when we're trying to witness to somebody, or we think to ourselves, man, I wish I had something to say to this person right now, and words sort of escape us. We really don't know how to start the conversation or how to take it towards something very spiritual. At that moment, it's always good to have a piece of literature. Amen? When the spoken word fails, the written word, word will prevail. Amen? And so it's always good to have some literature in your hand, to have some in your car. This is always a wonderful thing to do. In fact, if you want some literature, you go talk to those call porters. They'll get some for you. All right, the name of the sermon is called The Butterfly Effect. The Butterfly Effect. This is not about a movie. I know some people have asked the question, wait a minute, this seems to be the title of a movie, a Hollywood movie. I actually watched, walked into Kmart yesterday, and I saw The Butterfly Effect movie and The Butterfly Effect Part 2. And I thought to myself, this is not what my sermon is about. And so we're going to understand a little bit about The Butterfly Effect and how it applies to our spirituality and our lives as Christians. In the theory of, in physics, there is a theory, and it was, uh, it was um, hypothesized by a man by the name of Edward Lorenz. And in 1960, he basically articulated a theory that was already being uh, sort of grappled by a lot of physicists. And it's this thing called the butterfly effect. In other words, it describes how there are small actions that can take place that will ultimately lead to very big and massive events taking place. For example, the analogy that's quite used often is the flapping or the fluttering of a butterfly wing will lead somehow way down in, in a period of time to a massive hurricane in South America. And this was an individual, Edward Lawrence, who actually began to understand this theory when he was trying to predict the weather using some calculations. And because he messed up on one of the calculations by a fraction of a percentage, it led to completely different and really different and big results that were far different from the, uh, the predicted results. In fact, this is the reason why a lot of meteorologists or, or weathermen actually have a difficult time predicting weather because of all the, the, the variables that are involved that affect weather. And so this theory basically teaches that in large-scale systems, Small actions can lead to huge changes. 
Small actions or variations can lead to huge changes. We can see this in the human body, in the circulatory system, how small changes can change, have massive effects. We can also see this in the stock market, where slight fluctuations will lead to something really big. And so when we're understanding this butterfly effect, folks, you're going to see that it also applies to spirituality. It also applies to spirituality. In fact, when you study the Bible, you will see that certain individuals, individuals who did uh, or who just committed small actions or did small things, seemingly small things, led to huge and massive and great revolutions. We're going to be taking a good look at somebody in the Bible where there are great events that can be tied to something that he did. Something that he apparently did in the scriptures, the Bible actually says only one verse about this individual of exactly what he did that had a ripple effect that in these cause and effect over and over again, it led to massive changes in the course of human history. In the course of human history. In fact, we're going to take our Bibles and we're going to go to the book of Ezra. The book of Ezra. We can look at our church today. And we can see that we are part of the Seventh-day Adventist church. But folks, I want you to understand something. This church was started by a group of people during the 1800s. And the reason why they started this Seventh-day Adventist church movement is because of a fulfilled prophecy. This prophecy actually took place, or the beginning of this prophecy began in the 400s A.D., and it took place because of what one individual did in his influence that he had upon a certain king. And his influence led to a great revival. In fact, this individual, Ezra, also started one of the greatest revivals in all of Israel. It led to the completion of the temple and the walls, the temple and the walls in which the Messiah, the, Messiah, the promised one, actually walked into. All because of what one man did. Just this small action had this ripple effect that changed the course of human history. Generations later, and what this individual did had no clue what was going to take place as a result of his actions. Everyone take your Bible, we're going to the book of Ezra, Ezra chapter 7, verse 10. And watch what the Bible says in the midst of the book of Ezra. It is this one verse that described what Ezra did that had this ripple effect that changed the course of human history, that led to tremendous events taking place. Watch what Ezra chapter 7, verse 10 says. For Ezra, what's that next word? Prepared his what? Heart to seek the law of the Lord, to do it, and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. What this man did in this one verse led to huge cataclysmic events. All because he did something that seemingly, when we sort of read it in the book of Ezra, it really doesn't seem like a big thing. But when you actually trace cause and effect, you will see it was this particular action that led to so many other things that would take place in history. The Bible says, For Ezra prepared his what? Heart to seek the law of the Lord, to do it, and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. Folks, that's a big question to us. And that question is, how do we prepare our hearts? How do we prepare our hearts? You know, many times we like to think, well, the best thing for me to do, I need to prepare a sermon if I'm going to be preaching. 
Before you preach a sermon, before you prepare for the sermon, you need to prepare your heart. Before you prepare your reports for work, you need to prepare your heart. Even before you do your homework, you should prepare your heart. Even before preparing your canvas, you should prepare your heart. In anything big that you are doing, or even relatively small, there needs to be a very special process of preparing your heart. If you're going to come up here and do music, even before you prepare your songs, you should have a time in which you are preparing your heart. It was Ezra's action of preparing his heart that led to this massive revival in all of Israel. It, stopped, it started and completed the, the temple building. It helped a group of people who were sitting down, who were refusing to do any more work, who had become sleepy. And one man's revival in his own life led to an entire nation being revived. I never forgot, I was doing an interview in the conference about a few years ago. They were interviewing me for a pastoral job. And, uh, you know, one of the administrators, he really likes to just bring the hammer down. And he likes to make sure these sort of young recruits can handle uh, pastoring a church. And so he looked at me in the midst of the interview as I was trying to pontificate and sound really smart and intelligent. And uh, he says to me in the middle of the interview, what are you going to do when the church doesn't want to grow? What are you going to do in the church when everybody is asleep and nobody wants to work and do the gospel or give the gospel? What are you going to do? And I said, well, then he continues, and he continues just to sort of chide me and hit me, and he says, what are you going to do when you are stressed out of your mind and you do not feel like working for God? What are you going to do? And I never forgot. The Lord gave me the right answer, and it silenced him too, which was really great. I said, I'll remember what Ezekiel 37 says, that even dry bones can live again. And he sort of, just like he got punched by the spirit, he stopped and said, that's good. Folks, I want you to understand something. It is possible to live again spiritually. Can you say amen, church family? The Bible gives us hope that we can be resurrected to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And I know there's people here who need a revival in their life. And what Ezra did in his life not only led to a revival in his own personal life, but the chain reaction led to an entire revival of an entire nation that was able to finish the temple that had more glory in it because Jesus, the Messiah, would come into it. Folks, because of one action, this man did. And it was preparing his heart. Now let me ask you a good question. How many people here want to prepare their heart? Amen. Now we're going to get into how you actually prepare your heart before the Lord. You know, I like to uh, style myself as a Gardener, it's a category I now fit into. I uh, started gardening some time ago. I was telling you guys about that. And it was very interesting. I learned a very interesting lesson. I went and I sort of sectioned off this area that I was going to sort of till the soil. And I took my shovel and I began to break up the ground. It took some time and it was very tedious. And, it, you know, I got tired after some time, but I was just breaking up the ground. It was about 10 feet by about 25 feet. And I was breaking up the ground. And I never forgot, as I was breaking up the ground, all of a sudden, the shovel would hit something. And you want to know what I found? I found tractor bolts there. As I continued digging and tilling up the soil, you know what else I found? I found rubber straps there. And I'm thinking to myself, where in the world did this come from? 
I wasn't finding rocks or like, you know, other things that you would expect to find in soil. I was finding like broken tools and bottles. You want to know what the craziest thing I found? I found a USB flash drive there. It's two years old. And I, when I never forgot when I pulled it out, I was thinking, how old am I? It actually belonged to my friend who's a med school student. He lost it there, and somehow it got buried underground. And anyways, it still works, by the way. <laughs> but here's the thing. There is in the soil of our heart elements that we need to be aware of. Look what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 15, verse 18, in preparing the heart. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the what? Heart. And they defile a man. For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications. In fact, you see a progression of the Ten Commandments there. Evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and blasphemies. The Bible is saying something. Jesus is saying something about the human heart. He is saying there are elements in the human heart that affect your decision-making process. There are things that are in your heart that affect your decision-making process. When you have a decision to make for the Lord Jesus Christ, or any other decision for that matter, when you are about to make that decision, your heart that is infected with these elements begin to push and pull your decision. So many times the things that you are dealing with are false motives and wrong intentions for doing the things that you are doing. And so whenever you have to make a choice for God, these things, these elements that are in your heart begin to try to push or guide that decision. There are motives or the reasons why you do the things that you do in your heart. There are intentions. The things that you do that are in your heart, the reason why you do them are in your heart. And Jesus is saying something about the human heart. He is saying, look, these things are present in the human heart and you have to deal with it. You have to confront it. Just like as I was digging up the soil, I was finding these unusual things. When you dig up the soil of your heart, you will find the most unusual things there. And what Ezra was doing in preparing his heart, he was exposing the problems that were located in his heart. The heart is infected with sin, and the will is affected by sin. So any decision that we make is affected by these things that are present in our heart. Jesus doesn't even get to the cause of these things. He just says, these things are present in the human heart. Ellen White talks about the causes of these things. She says, it is inherited and cultivated tendencies. In other words, the things that we inherited and the things that we have cultivated over the course of our life, these things now become the motivations and the intentions like a pulley pulling away our choices or pushing our choice in one direction or another. Therefore, our will has no power. And Jesus is saying, look, this is the problem with the human heart. This is what you have to deal with. Out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and blasphemies. And so when Ezra was preparing his heart, he had to deal with these elements that were there. And when he finally dealt with these elements, it was then that revival happened. Not just in his own life, but it led to a massive revival for the people around him. He prepared his heart before the Lord. Folks, each one of us has a decision to make. 
We have decisions we make every day for the Lord Jesus Christ. Decisions to follow him. Many, many times in the day we are making decisions for God. Eternal decisions for God. We are choosing whether or not every day to accept what the Spirit is saying to us or to reject what the Spirit is saying to us. And folks, and I know I'm being very strong, but I want you to understand, this is my problem too. It's not like pastors come up here and, you know, are ready for translation as soon as we walk out of that door. There's no fiery chariot there. This is a VW Beetle that's breaking down. <laughs> folks, this is the heart issue, and we need to learn how to prepare it. Everyone take your Bible. Go to Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. We need to find how to prepare the heart soil so that what God wants to do can take place in our life. We want to have more effectiveness in our ministry. We want to have more success in the things that we do. We want to be aligned with the will of God. Then this is where it needs to start, right here. Right here. In fact, one of the best things I want to tell you guys about, I'm learning this, 99% of the church's problems are not theological. I want to say that one more time. 99% of the church's problem is not theological. It is people problems. It is people problems. And we've got to learn to deal with these issues. In fact, if you do a study, you will find that when Jesus was dealing with his disciples, he was cementing the foundation of theology. But when you read the book of Acts, as they continued to grow, the major issue was people problems. It wasn't theological issues. Folks, the theology is perfect, amen? You don't have to mess with that. It's fine the way it is. It's people problems. And if we learn to prepare our heart in doing any issue, going before any issue or bringing up anything, folks, 99% of our problems would be solved. 99% of our problems would be solved. Well, let's find out how we prepare the heart. We're going to Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. Oftentimes quoted... Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. And watch what the Bible says right here. The heart is deceitful above all things. The heart is deceitful above all things. Can you say amen to that? All things includes the devil. Even if the devil was gone, he'd still have a hard time. The heart is deceitful above all things. And desperately wicked. Who can know it? The question is asked by the writer, who can know this heart? Who can understand this heart? Who can actually help prepare the soil of this heart? Watch what the next verse says. It's beautiful. I, the Lord, search the heart. Can you say amen to that? We always like to quote verse 9, but we always forget verse 10. God is answering the question, who can know the heart? And God is saying, I can. I know the heart. I created it. I know what's wrong with it. And folks, when you allow God to prepare your heart, it will no longer hinder you from the powerful things that God wants to do in your life. And I'll tell you this, we are missing out every single day on the privileges that God has for us. Folks, Christianity is far more than just going to church once a week on the Sabbath. Amen? Christianity was meant to have the power, and God is willing to and waiting to unleash His Spirit. In fact, you know what Ellen White is saying about the prayers for the Holy Spirit, the latter rain? She says it is accumulating. It's building up like a vacuum bag. It's about to explode. And God is saying, I just need one person. I just need one person who's willing to prepare their heart. Just one. And watch what I can do. I will cause the rise and fall of nations with one person. 
That's what he said to Jeremiah. Let's continue. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind. God says right here, I can show you what's in your heart. Folks, when it comes to preparing our heart, we need to understand something. Preparing our heart is more than just doing devotions in the morning. I hope you guys understand this. Preparing the heart is more than just praying in the morning. Preparing the heart is actually a process that God wants to do every day in your life, every morning. And when you allow God to do this process of preparing your heart, then what happens the rest of the day will be powerful. It will be powerful. In fact, watch what Psalms 139 says right here. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my what? Folks, if you read one Psalms 139, you will find out that it says right there, the Spirit of God is everywhere. He's there if you make your bed in hell. He's there if you make your bed in heaven, wherever he's at. But at the very end of Psalms 139, David actually has to say, Lord, I know you're everywhere, but I need to give you permission to be here. It's the one thing that God will not go into unless you say yes. In the morning, one of the very first things you have to do you need to ask God. I hope you're writing this down. You need to ask God, and you need to pray to God. Say, God, I need you to search out my heart right now. And if there are any wrong elements in my heart, I need you to reveal those elements. And each day, he will show you what those elements are. In fact, after this time of you beginning to, to allow God to have the permission to do it, watch what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. When you open up the scripture, something amazing begins to take place. Look what it says. For the word of God is what? The word of God is what? Living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow. By the way, how do you separate soul and spirit? Does anybody know? How do you separate joints from marrow? Can you separate the soul from the spirit? In other words, that's the breath and life. Can you separate the joints and marrow? I like what the SDA Bible commentary said. Generally, when you think of these two terms, joints and marrow, soul and spirit, it says this, that those are things that are considered inseparable. And so what the Word of God is, when you're looking at the Word of God, when you're studying the Word of God, and by the way, there's a big difference between reading the Word of God and hearing the Word of God. When you're opening up the Word of God and you ask Jesus to reveal himself and to reveal what's in your heart, he will get right down to the nitty-gritty, right down to things you cannot see. And watch what the Bible says right there. And is a discerner of the what? Thoughts and intents of the heart. Notice, it could have just said, it's just a discerner of the thoughts, but it gets right down to the very intentions and the motivations of the heart. In other words, the reason why we do the things that we do. And folks, God rather revealed the motives and intentions of your heart through the scriptures than through trial. He rather revealed the thoughts and intentions of your heart through the word of God than through bad, horrible circumstances. We don't need to, to allow ourselves to come to a conclusion while we're going through difficult circumstances to understand what God is willing to do. Folks, when you spend time in the Word of God and you ask Jesus every day to search your heart, He begins to get right down, like a, you can imagine a dentist tool with that little hook that looks very scary in the mirror that's right there. 
and he begins to pull out the plaque that's there, that's between your teeth, things you don't even see. And when he removes those things, those things are hindering God from working even more powerful in your life. The thoughts and intentions of the heart. The human mind is structured very interesting. A lot of times people don't quite understand. Psychologists have a difficult time trying to classify what the difference is between thoughts and feelings. Because there's a lot of overlapping that takes place there. But folks, I want you to understand something. When it comes to intentions and motivations, those are certain thought structures in our minds that push and pull our decision-making process. And what God wants to do, He wants to give you the right motives and the right intentions. Can you say amen to doing that? Amen to that. Okay. Look what the Bible says next, right there. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eye of him to whom we must give account. Folks, preparing your heart before the Lord is a time where every morning you are waking up and in the midst of your prayer you are asking God, I'm giving you permission to search my heart. And as you open up the scripture, God begins to reveal things that day you need to understand. He begins to show you what may be a false motive in your heart, and this false motive is placing chains on the hand of God from working. But when he reveals those intentions and motivations to you that are not in accordance with his will, and he shows you this is a problem, this is an area, this is an issue, you can now deal with it through his grace. Amen? Ezra didn't just do devotions or just said a prayer. He prepared the heart soil of his life. And when he prepared the heart soil of his life, he was ready for all the other duties that were before him. Folks, God is calling for a massive revival to take place in this church. He is calling for something great to take place in this church. You call porters aren't excused either. God is calling. He wants to do even more through you. Even more. And he says, if you prepare the heart, you will do the law of God, you will seek the law of God, and you will have an incredible ability to teach the law of God to the fallen world. God wants to prepare your heart. Folks, we need to understand something when it comes to the word of God. Now I'm kind of going to veer off a little bit, but I want you to understand this. Look what Ellen White says right here. When the mind is stored with Bible truth, its principles take what? Deep root in the soul and the preference and taste becomes, I love that word right there, wedded. And it's not because I want to get married, but folks, it's in describing something so powerful. It's describing a, a powerful bond to truth. And a wedding is not just a, a physical bond, it's an emotional bond, it's also a mental bond. And what, the, what she is saying right here is that when you store the word of God in your mind, it becomes attached to the truth. It takes the truth and it weds it to you. And there is no desire for debasing, exciting literature that enfeebles the moral powers and wrecks the, the faculties that God has bestowed for usefulness. Bible knowledge will prove to be an antidote for the poisonous insinuations received through unguarded reading. And if there was something that said Blu-ray DVDs during Ellen White's time, I'm sure she would have wrote that too. By the way, when you read Great Controversy, you will find out that when Satan is finally destroyed, Ellen White says something unique. She says, 
and the people will realize his version of the great controversy is wrong. Did you know he presents his own version of the great controversy? And do you know the medium he chooses to use? Well, he uses a variety of medium, mediums. But every day, we are receiving the, through the medium of television, through music, and the things that, that sort of blind spot hit us really hard as we're driving down the road. They're all communicating a message. By the way, I always say this. Everyone gets a sermon, whether you're in church or whether you're not. But not all sermons are from God. And when you spend time in the Word of God, it frees your mind from false intentions and motivations for following God. I never forgot when I did call portering, I did it for the first half of the summer. I went through a process where God was revealing to me whether or not I really wanted to serve Him. He was showing me the thought and intents of my heart. And by the way, you know what life is? It's a process where God is refining and changing our motives for going to heaven. Because He knows when it comes right down to it, now I'm going to be very strong right now, that most of us don't want to go to heaven. That most of us don't want to be in the presence of Jesus. But there's a part of us that does. And so when we ask Jesus to change us, he will lead us through, through situations and trials and experiences that will refine our motives, that will make heaven, oh, so a place to be desired and the presence of God even more desirable to us. He will refine the motives and intentions. He will replace it with truth. Can you say amen to that? But I also want you to notice something. When the mind is stored with Bible what? What does that mean? Does anybody know? When the mind is stored with Bible truth. When the mind is stored with Bible truth, it's referring to the memorization of Scripture. Folks, do you know that used to be a thing they used to preach back in the day? You should memorize Bible. You should memorize Bible verses. They used to say that. But that's cradle roll, right? Wrong. God is calling his people like never before to regain the art of memorizing the scriptures. In fact, I was reading a quotation where she was talking, Sister White was talking to med school students, and she was saying to them, look, if you want to have a retentive memory, if you want to do well in your studies, study the Bible in the morning. Study the Word of God. It will make you more intelligent than any other book. It will bring a balance to your mind that's needed through the, to the delicacy and the precision of the mind. When you spend time in the Word of God and you store those beautiful truths in your mind, it will do something powerful. Look, you have your finite mind and the scriptures are the infinite mind of God. And when it comes into contact, your mind cannot help but be changed by the infinite mind of God. Can you say amen to that? We've got to learn to memorize Bible. We've got to learn to do it again. God is calling his people to start learning to memorize scripture. You may be 99 years old. Folks, I want to tell you, you can memorize scripture. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. 99 years old. Folks, these days Adventists live till 200 years old. 100 years, that's nothing these days. Seventh-day Adventists, right? We need to memorize scripture. In fact, we're going to do a little bit of a lesson right now. All right, everyone. We're going to memorize the scripture verse right here. So feel free to stretch. Okay, here we go. I need everyone to repeat this verse with me. Ready? Here we go. Jeremiah 20, verse 
Then I said, I will, not, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. Okay, I'm speaking too fast. Let's do this again. From the very beginning, okay? Jeremiah 20, verse 9. Then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in my heart like a burning, shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. Woo! Don't you love that? Don't say woo yet. Here we go. Do you need me to go back? Okay. Guys, I know you guys are sharp. You're sharp. Here we go. Then I said, I will not make woo, of him nor speak any more in his but his word was in my heart like a shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. I'm hearing a little bit louder over here. We need to get louder over here. Folks, this is the word of God. Are you ready for the next one? We need to go back here. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Then I said, I will not make any more in his name but his alright guys we're going back we're going to get this folks I, I promise you five minutes and you can memorize scripture five minutes and we're going to do it in four minutes here we go from the very beginning then I said I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name but his word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back and I could... Here we go. Then I said, I will not make nor speak any more in his... But his word was in my heart like a... The pillars are shaking. Here we go. Jeremiah 29 verse 9. Then I said, okay, I'll give you two seconds to look at this. One, two. Okay, here we go. This side is still louder, guys. Okay. No Bibles. You guys are not using your Bibles. Jeremiah. Okay, I'll give you two seconds to look at the last one. One, two. Here we go. Jeremiah 20, verse 9. Then I said, Jeremiah 20, verse 9. Then... It's dying out. Amen. Amen. Folks, I'll tell you this. Five minutes. Now, some of you guys are thinking to yourself, I need like prophetically five minutes. That was too long. But folks, here's the thing to understand. Every day, if you commit scripture to your mind, you are replacing your evil thoughts with the word of God, with the thoughts of God. And folks, I never forgot, God has a purpose for each day for the scripture he shows you. A very special purpose. I never forgot. One day, I read this scripture verse in Psalms 34, verse 18, and it says, The Lord is close to those who have a broken heart and save such that be of a contrite spirit. And I never forgot. I thought to myself, I'm going to memorize this verse. And I said, Lord, you have a purpose for this verse today. I'm not brokenhearted today. I may be in the future, but not right now. But you have a purpose for me. 
That day, I was knocking on some doors. I came across one door, and this woman, you could just look at this woman right now, picture in your mind, her eyes were sunken in, and you can see just the, the, the tear-stained eyes. You can see her eyes were red, they're watery. She just had this weariness about her, and when she would speak, you can sense there was just anxiety in her tone of voice. And I talked to her about the peace that God has for her. I never forgot, I said, by the way, can I share one verse with you? She said, go ahead. I said, Psalms 34, verse 18. The Lord is close to those who have a broken heart. At that moment, more tears started coming out of her eyes. And I said, praise the Lord, she's crying. That means God working. Here's the thing. I realized something. That morning, God communicated a message to me to communicate to her. God was striving with this woman that day. And he was wanting to show her that he cared for her. And folks, every day when you commit scripture to your mind, not only are you battling against sin and the false intentions and motivations of your heart, God has a purpose for those verses that day. Start memorizing scripture. I never forgot one day I was with my friend who was Samoan. You know Samoans, they eat a lot of meat. Can you say amen to that? And they're like descendants of the antediluvians. I mean, they're huge people, these people are. I never forgot. My friend invited me over and he said, hey, we're going to have a barbecue. And I'm thinking to myself, there's nothing I can eat at a barbecue, but I'll still go. Be some corn or something. Anyways, I get there and uh, th these Samoans are just wonderful people, very loving people. And I never forgot, I was right there talking to my friend. His name was Alofa. He was my friend. And he says, here, there's my father-in-law. And he pointed me to his father-in-law who was just sitting on a chair. Walked over to his father-in-law and he said, hi, my name's Anel. And he said, hi, nice to meet you, Anel. And I noticed something. He was still staring off in the distance because he was blind. And as we began to talk a little bit more, this man could quote scripture like nothing. He was quoting it so perfectly that I couldn't do on my best day. And he was saying it so smoothly and just precisely. And I said, how are you memorizing so much scripture? And he says, well, I have my son-in-law and my daughter read it to me every single day, and I commit it to my mind. He says, being blind, this is my comfort. But then he said to me, what church do you go to? And I said, I'm an everyday Adventist. He said, I said, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. And he looked, he just turned his head almost as if he could see me with his blind eyes. And he said, Seventh-day Adventist, those people know their Bibles. Amen. We're still a people of the word or no? God is calling for us to become a people of the word again. He is calling us to be a people who study their Bibles again. He is calling us to be a generation that knows their scriptures. He is calling us to be a people who will know the ins and outs of the Bible. And it takes place when you spend time preparing your heart, even before you go to the scriptures. God will bless you. Folks, I want to let you know something. This is the time, this is the day and age where God is calling us to people to be the people of the word again, to start committing to their minds the scriptures, the holy word of truth. I love what Ellen White says right here. She says this, Through all time, this book, talking about the Bible, is to stand as a revelation of Jehovah. To human beings, the divine oracles have been committed to be the power of God. The truths of the word of God are not mere sentiment, but the utterances of the Most High. He who makes these truths a part of his life becomes in every sense a new creature. 
He has not given new mental powers, but the darkness that through ignorance and sin have clouded the understanding is removed. Folks, do you understand what this is saying? The person that God created you to be, the fullest expression that God had desired, that God desires of human your humanity can happen. Your life will not be a waste if you take the word of God and you inculcate it into your mind. You will become the person that God has designed you to be. The fullest expression of truth coming through your individuality, yet still distinct from everybody else. Folks, this is powerful. God wants to do something big. Wants to do something big. Something huge. But that which above all the considerations should lead us to prize the Bible is that in it is revealed to men the will of God. Here we learn the object of our creation and the means by which that object may be attained. We learned how to improve wisely the present life and how to secure the future life. No other book can satisfy the questionings and of the mind or the cravings of the heart. God is calling his people to find that at the well, the water of life, you can be filled. Maybe somebody here today who is thirsty, somebody who is craving something more, somebody here who wants a greater revival in their life, who wants to prepare their heart. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.